Thanks, guys, for uh, sharing. <laughs> Maybe next week you can sing to us. That would be awesome. Uh, praise God for that. Um, about a month ago, uh, residents of Hawaii, people who are living in Hawaii, you, you, you've heard this. Uh, about a month ago, people in Hawaii, um, everyone who had a cell phone, got a text message that said, ballistic missile inbound, headed towards Hawaii, uh, seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. You heard about this, right? And so um, about 8 o'clock in the morning, people started getting this message on their phones, and there was a, a more detailed message uh, on the radio and on the TV telling them that, you know, there, there's a missile coming, and they needed to, to get underground. And, and so for the next 38 minutes, as they realized after 38 minutes that this was a, <clears throat> a, a, a mistake message that went out, but for the next 38 minutes, um, chaos ensued throughout the island. I mean, people were going crazy. What would you do? 8.08 in the morning, you get a message on your cell phone saying there's a nuclear missile headed to where you are. You need to seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. What would you do? So a few weeks ago, um, a couple days after this happened, we were having a prayer meeting, and our, uh, one, our Central Asia House Church shepherd, uh, Albert Kang, was, was sharing about this, and he shared about um, this Reddit thread. Reddit is a, it's a, it's a website, a user-submitted uh, website where they have dis- different discussion groups on different topics, and, and you can interact with people. And so one of the threads that day said, who was there when that missile threat came, and what did you end up doing? What do you, what do, you do when you know you've got maybe about an hour left to live? Right? Nuclear threat, the threat of nuclear disaster has a way of clarifying our values and, and reminding us of the things that matter, don't they? Well, we've never had it before, not here, and hopefully we never will. But for those people, it had a way of really awakening them to the things that mattered the most. Some people said, um, knowing that this is the last thing they're going to do before they die, they called up their boss and they cursed them out. <laughs> I wonder what that conversation was like the next day uh, when they realized that it was just a false alarm. Uh, there was others who said that they were driving, a hundred, cops said they saw cars going 100 miles an hour running through red lights, getting to who knows where. Phone lines were jammed, 911 was, couldn't get through. People were calling their loved ones wherever they were. There's some people that said that um, I just went into, my, I just went into my, my kid's room. They were sleeping, and I just cuddled with them for the next half hour. One guy said, uh, I had a choice between going to be with my wife or going to be with my two kids, and I couldn't be with both. Where do I go? He said, because there are more of them than there was her, of her, I went and, I, and I, I was with them. Another guy who was on the verge of divorce called up his wife and said, I still love you. I hope to see you on the other side. People were calling each other, making phone calls of reconciliation because the threat of nuclear disaster, when you realize that your life is about to end, it has a way of revealing to us the things that really matter in life, doesn't it? And what these people all agreed with, and I think what you and I would agree with also, is that the most important thing, as David and Margaret said, Jesus uh, said this too, the most important thing when the chips are on the table are the relationships that we have and the people that we've come to know in our lives. And we understand that the greatest joy in life comes through relationships. We also understand on the flip side, like the guy who called his boss up, we understand that the greatest pain in life can come from relationships also. 
the pain of a parent-child relationship that didn't end up the way that we thought it would, the pain of a relationship romantically that we thought was going to end up one way but ended up in a completely different way, the pain of, of friendships that we thought we were going to be best friends forever only to realize that they're now best friends forever with somebody else. We know that the greatest joy and the greatest pain can come from relationships. You can't live without them, but sometimes we feel like we can't live with them either. And such is life on planet Earth. This is the nature of relationships. For the next few weeks, I want to talk about the power and the pain that comes from human relationships. And I want to take us back to the beginning today to talk about God's design for relationships and why there's so much potential for both pain and pleasure when it comes to our relationships with people. We're going to look in Genesis chapter 2. But as you turn there, I want to kind of remind us, the story of creation, the true story of creation, begins in Genesis chapter 1. It says that on six days God created the heavens and the earth and everything that we see in it. And after every day of creation, after God looked at what he had created, he said, it's good. He said either it's good or it's very good. And this repetition of it's good, it's good, it's good is the Hebrew way of saying it works, it works, it works, that everything is in working order. And then we get to Genesis chapter 2 towards the end in verse 18, and all of this repeated it's goods comes to a halt. And something in creation, before sin enters into the world, God says, you know what, there's something not working about the way that creation has been, uh, has been set up. What is that? Genesis chapter 2, we're going to read in verse 18, and then I'm going to go all the way through chapter 3 into verse 7, and then we're going to read chapter 3, verse 21. This is God's word, Genesis 2. We're going to start with verse, eight, uh, verse 18. After all of these repeated it is goods, it says in verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Adam was very excited. That, I, it doesn't say that, but Adam was very excited. Verse 23, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, whoa, man, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Oh, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, Adam and his wife, and clothed them. And this is God's word. A lot, of, a lot of stuff comes from this passage. Um, again, you've probably heard many different sermons taking many different bents on uh, this passage. But we're going to talk specifically as it relates to our relationships with each other and, and, and about our relationship with God. Three thoughts here. One, you were not meant to be alone. But relationships are not easy. You were not meant to be alone, but relationships are not easy. Okay? Where do we see this? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28, it talks about how God creates Adam, right? Creates man. It says, let us make man in our image. It's a funny thing for God to say. Who's he talking to? Let us make man in our image. He's talking amongst the Godhead. This is where we get the first idea of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all our God, uh, three persons in one Godhead. And so God, who exists in community, makes man in his image. So part of what it means that we're made in the image of God is that we too are created for community in the same way that God exists as a community. And so he creates man in his image with a longing for community. All of creation is done. And then in the sixth day, on the sixth day in chapter 2, verse 18, he says, hold up, it is not good. It doesn't work this way when man is alone. And so some of us read that and we're like, yeah, that's my problem. That's my problem. My problem is that I'm still single and I don't have a man, or I'm still single and I don't have a woman, right? That's how a lot of us read this. But the issue here is not about our singlehood. God did not say it is not good for man to be single. He said it's not good for man to be alone. And there's a world of difference. The issue is not marriage. The issue is connection. In other words, if you are lonely as a single person because you don't have relational connection, you will be lonely as a married person because you still won't have relational connection because the issue is not marriage. The issue is connection with another human being. That's what God is saying. And in the manual of life, God says it's not good to be alone. The way that God created you and me, right? If you have a longing for a relationship, like I can't be alone. I don't like being alone. I want to be with people. That's not a sign of your deficiency. That is a sign of your humanity, okay? That's a sign that you're created in the image of God and you need people because you were not created to be alone. That's what the manual says, and it does not work. You do not work properly if you're not in life-giving, soul-touching, naked but unashamed kind of relationships with other people. Uh, Olivia and I, our refrigerator went kaput the other day, and so we had to get a new fridge. And so uh, the guys from Best Buy came, and they delivered our refrigerator. They took out our old refrigerator, and they put the new one in. They put it right into its place, and everything was beautiful. It was a perfect fridge that Olivia wanted. 
It was a beautiful refrigerator delivered specially by the guys of Best Buy. And so imagine, this is not how it happened, but imagine this happens. We're really excited because it fits right in the space that our old fridge used to be in. We open the refrigerator doors, and we start putting food in there, okay? We wake up the next day excited to drink our cold milk only to realize that the milk is not cold. It's gotten warm. We touch everything else in there. We realize it's not just the milk, but everything in there is warm. In fact, our old refrigerator, whenever we would open the door, the light would come on, but there's no light in this refrigerator. It's still dark whenever we open it up. We say, maybe we should just, this is what we do when we don't know how to fix an appliance we have. We just hit it a few times. Maybe if we hit it a few times, then it will start working. So we hit it a few times, and then we walk away. We come back 10 minutes later. We open it up, but it's still dark in there, and everything is still warm. Well, this is what we do when we hitting it doesn't work. We put our hands out, and we pray for it and say, in Jesus' name, let this refrigerator come to life. And we pray, and then we open the refrigerator, but it's still dark. We're like, oh, my goodness, what is going on? Let's just give it some time. And so a week goes by, and we come back a week later. We open the refrigerator, and this foul smell is coming out of it. It's still dark. Everything is molded. There's like animals climbing up out of that thing. And so Olivia says to me what she usually says when I don't know how to work something. She says, you should read the instruction manual. That's a great idea. I should have done that seven days ago. And so I get the instruction manual, and I start reading it. And on the front page, it says, after all of the, the, the instructions about what the inventory is this, it says, the refrigerator will not work unless it is connected to the outlet. Ah, oh, that must be the issue. And so I plug it in, and all of a sudden, the lights come on, a noise starts being made, and it starts cooling the inside of the refrigerator. The instruction manual of the refrigerator tells us that it will not work unless it is connected. And the instruction manual for human beings tells us the same thing. You feel like life isn't working for you? You feel like you've got money and you've got grades, you've got the applause of people, you've got the car, you've got the clothes, you've got the looks, you've got everything, but for some reason life doesn't seem to be working? Okay, the instruction manual of life says you will not work properly in this life if you're not connected with other people because you were not meant to live life alone. In fact, you see this every, every study, psychological study says this. Here's my favorite one. You've heard me talk about this. But several years ago in Alameda County, California, that's Northern California, Harvard did a study for nine years. They studied people over a nine-year period, and they studied people with good eating habits, bad eating habits, a healthy, healthy lifestyle, unhealthy lifestyle, their relational connections, and this is what they found. They found that people are three times more likely to die if they do not have strong, intimate, relational connections with other people. Whatever the other variables are. So here's what they found out, that people who are obese because they eat unhealthy, they smoke, they're alcoholics, they have a higher likelihood of living a longer life if they have relational connections than people who eat healthy all the time, but they don't have any relational connections in their network of of people, in their community. This is how important it is that we have life-giving, soul-touching relationships with other people. Not talking about being married. Not talking about I need a boyfriend or girlfriend. Talking about relational connections with intimacy where you look into me and you see and I look into you and I see. This is the essence of intimacy. He's saying this is what it takes in order for you to live a long life. 
This is what it is because this is how God made us. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, it says, two are better than one and three are better than two. It's the same thing that Jesus says too. When people ask him, Jesus, what is the most important commandment in the law? He says, there's one. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And before they can say the next thing, he says, and the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, he's saying the most important thing is really two-pronged. It's to love God and to love people. It's to have relationships with one another. Let me, let me, let me sum all this up. For the past five weeks, we talked about the one thing that you need in life. The only thing that you need in life is Jesus. It's a relationship with him. You can have everything else and fall apart, and you can have Jesus and nothing else, and your life still be intact. Jesus is the one thing that you need above all other things. But Jesus himself goes on to say, but if you have me, then by necessity, you will have relationships with other people. You cannot get that loving God right if you don't get the loving other people right. That's what Jesus is saying. And you see this throughout Scripture. It's not good for us to be alone. We need to be in relationship with people. But here's the problem. People are annoying. And relationships are not easy. Right? You understand this, right? If the person you're in relationship with isn't annoying to you, then something's wrong with you. They do a really good job of covering that up because every single one of us are annoying. We've got issues. We've got problems. And if you haven't seen them yet, then once your eyes are open, you're going to be in for a very rude awakening. I remember talking with our youth pastor, Daniel, and he said his brother, Josh, said to him, you know what? Here's the reality. Everyone's got issues. Just some people are a lot better at covering them up and hiding them because that's what we do, isn't it? And people are weird. I've had some weird people that I've lived with. Olive is, is, is weird, and I'm not going to tell you how she's weird. But I've lived with some weird There was this one guy named Mike in my college. Uh, he was a transfer student, and he came from some, like, school, but he told everybody that he went to Harvard. He told everybody that he went to Harvard. I was at Harvard last year, but really what he did was he spent a week at Harvard. But he told everyone that he came from Harvard. Like, dude, this guy's weird. He was weird because, like, he labeled I know some people label their food when you live in, in an apartment. Um, I don't know many Asians who label their food, but he was one Asian who labeled all of his food. And one day he wanted to drink orange juice, but he didn't have any. His roommates had orange juice, and so what he did was he took a little bit of both of the other roommates' orange juice, he drank it, and he filled both of them up with water, and he shook them really hard, and then he put them back in the fridge. Like, dude, this guy's weird. Like, people are weird. How can you love people like that? There was another guy that I lived with. His name was Brian. He was, I, I, I mentioned him, like, a few weeks back. Like, he had to ask his mom for everything. Uh, but he would eat Mr. Freeze. You know what Mr. Freeze are? They're, like, the three-cent ice, uh, ice pops that you buy at, like, Walmart or Target. You buy 100 of them for, like, $3. He would eat these, like, religiously. He would eat, like, 10 of them a day. And one time, we, we'd find them everywhere. Like, we found, like, three of those rappers in the shower. This dude was eating Mr. Freeze ice pops in the shower. Not one, not two, but three of them. Like, what is wrong with this guy? People are strange, and relationships are not easy. And if you read in the ensuing chapters of Genesis, he makes it crystal clear that moments after Adam talks about with glowing terms and sings his praise about his wife Eve, begin to realize that human relationships are broken and they're frail and they're extremely difficult because with the next human beings, their very children, they fight with each other. One is so jealous of the other that he takes him into a field and he kills him. And that's not the worst of it. 
Right? Soon after, right, people introduce, he's got this guy named Lamech has this wife, and he decides, I want another wife and another And he marries all these people and introduces polygamy into our world. There's a man named Noah in the sixth chapter of Genesis who is hailed as the paragon of godliness in his generation. God wipes out the entire world. He saves Noah and his wife and his children and their wives and the rest of the animals. But Noah comes out of that having been saved, and he gets drunk. And he lays naked, and he's so ashamed at what he does that he goes and he curses his grandson, saying, it's your fault that this all happened. People are weird, and relationships are difficult. And this is a challenge that we have in life. Because God made us to be in relationship with one another. But the reality is that every person is busted and every person is broken and every person is annoying and it's extremely difficult for us to have these relationships. And so Adam and Eve realized, man, you are hard to live with. You are weird and you are strange. And they felt shame when sin enters into the world and they cover themselves up with fig leaves. Now, the second thing that we see here, the first thing we see is God made us for relationships. And we're not meant to be alone. Relationships are not easy. But the second thing that we see is that the enemy will do whatever it takes to keep you from relationships. The enemy will do whatever it takes to keep you from relationships. And one of the lies that we'll believe, we'll be led to believe, is that the person that we've been called into relationship with is the enemy. Sometimes we get so frustrated in our relationships with our roommate, with our spouse, with our parents, with our children, that we begin to think they're the enemy. And every time we argue, we feel like we need to win the argument when God says, no, you need to win a relationship. The enemy is not the person you're in relationship with. In fact, it tells us that the serpent, verse three, chapter 3, verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. The enemy is an infernal enemy called Satan, and he tempts Adam and Eve, and he will do whatever it takes in order to keep us from relationship. Because here's the thing, the instruction manual for life tells us what gives us life, shows us what we need for joy. We need the Word of God for joy. We need prayer for joy. We need people for joy. We need to worship like this together in community. And the enemy knows that, so he will do whatever it takes to keep you from the things that bring you joy. Isn't that why it's so hard to pray? As soon as you have your 9 o'clock appointment with God in prayer, as soon as that happens, there's a million different things that begin to distract you from prayer. It's your mom who calls you to mow the grass. It's your baby that just happens to wake up then when normally he's supposed to wake up at 10 o'clock. It's your friend who texts you out of the blue, says they need something from you. It's something, whatever it is that happens, you begin to realize, man, my fingernails are really long or my toenails are really long. I need to go cut them. And by the time you, you file all that stuff, you realize, well, I just go out and do the next thing I need to do. The enemy knows what we need for joy in life, and he will attack those things to keep us from it. That's why we get into fights on Sunday morning, and we don't want to come to church. That's why we get sick on Friday night and Saturday night, and we don't want to come to church because this is what gives us life. The enemy will do whatever it takes to give us reason to not go to that fountain that God gives to us in order to find life. He'll do whatever it takes to keep us isolated. Last week, we began this, um, uh, this missions campaign called Missions Madness. 
basically a four-week basketball league, and, 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 and we had some people come out and, and watch, and we had some people come out and play. And some people came out and watched, and they said, I have no idea what's going on. I just see people, men, running up and down the court, and they're sweaty, and they're yelling, and de- different things. Out of so I want to teach you two things that you might hear on the basketball court that will help you to understand the game and help you to understand human relationships. The first thing you'll hear is a word usually that comes from the lips of older players in Missions Madness. It's a word... Help, right? Help is usually when an older person is guarding or, or a slower person, doesn't have to be old, but a, a slower person is guarding a person who's fast and who's good and they cannot cover them. The great thing about basketball is that it's a team sport and so when this person who's playing defense can no longer cover the person in front of them, all they need to do is yell, help, and the other teammates will come and help them. This is called help defense. So you may hear older people say this. There's another term, especially that comes from the uh, lips of younger people or good people, especially after they hear an older person calling help. Once they get in their minds the fact that this person cannot cover them, they will call a play called ISO, ISO. What that means is it's short for isolation. What it means is when I say ISO, I'm telling all of my teammates to go all the way to the other side so that I can be matched up one-on-one with my defender. When When I can isolate him and I can get by him, then it's pretty much game over, and I can score on him. Isolation is a play that's called when you realize that your person is at their weakest. And it's a play that the enemy wants to call often in our lives. Because the enemy realizes that if he can get us isolated from human relationships, then that's the next step before our demise. How has the enemy been trying to isolate you? from human relationships. Hebrews 10, 24, 25 says, it's not, uh, he says, let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another daily and all the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, the darker our days get, the more we need strength in our lives, the more we need people in our lives to encourage us. And literally what encourage means, it means encourage, to pour courage into another person. Are you engaged in life-giving relationships with people who pour courage into you and into whom you pour courage? You pour strength into them. Do the relationships that you have pour courage into each other? Because here's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to isolate us So that instead of having relationships where we are naked, completely vulnerable, honest, intimate with each other, we settle for pseudo-relationships, relationships that don't quite meet the need for which God put us into relationship one with another. What does the enemy do? The first thing that the enemy tries to do is to isolate us from God. And so he says in verse 1, did God really say that? What does he do? He plants doubt into the minds of the people that God really is that good. And then Eve twists that and says, you must not eat from the tree and you must not touch it or you will die. So she distorts the word of God and the message of God. Verse 4, you will not surely die, right? The enemy then brings denial into it. He knows, God knows when you eat of it, you will be like God. Deceives her, and then ultimately desire gives way to a decision. And once our relationship with God is severed, our relationships with people are gone also. 
the most important thing. We've got to get this straight and not get it twisted. We need this relationship with God to be right in order for these relationships to be right. But as soon as that relationship between Adam and Eve and God is severed, their relationship with one another begins to go as well. They begin to sin. Instead of looking out for each other, they begin blaming each other. Adam never owns up to his sin. He starts pointing fingers. Eve starts pointing fingers back. Adam then begins to blame God, and what happens is they realize that they are now naked, but they're ashamed. And so they cover themselves up so that they cannot have the into-me-see intimacy relationship that they were created to have. And so what happens as a result, they settle for a pseudo-relationship. What is a pseudo-relationship? A pseudo-relationship is a false relationship where God is not at the center. Not in name only. You could say, oh, my house church is my God-centered relationship. But if he's not at the center of your relationships, like if all we're talking about is the weather and sports and the Super Bowl and all kinds of things that don't relate to the things of God in our lives, and there's no prayer for one another outside of our gatherings, then can we honestly say that this is a God-centered relationship? A pseudo-relationship is one where God is not at the center and we're not naked and unashamed and vulnerable and honest and looking into each other's hearts so that we can really connect. The number one example of a pseudo-relationship that's, you know, it's in vogue in our day and people are talking about all the time is the kind of relationships that we have on social media. Because in social media, it's it's probably the greatest kind of fig leaves that we can put on ourselves to cover up the shame and to cover up the annoying parts of our lives and to present the best parts of our lives. So on social media, we put up things that, the best parts of our lives. You see a couple, a dating couple, and they look so happy together. They're at the beach and they're lovey-dovey and all these things. and, And you think, well, they must be doing great. And three days later, you realize that they're no longer together. Like, what happened? You realize that the image that is projected on social media oftentimes is not the same thing as our reality. And when we become so engrossed and so, you've seen this all the time, right? A family goes out to eat and all of them are on their cell phones. A couple goes out to eat on a date, even older couples in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and they can't get off their phones. A dating couple, a young dating couple who cannot understand what it is to connect relationally with one another because they're drawn and addicted to the attention that comes from the likes that come on their social media feeds. Addicted to attention in pseudo-relationships, unable, unable to have real relationships with the people who are staring across the table from them. Don't we do things like that? We don't, I don't need to talk to them anymore because I've stalked them on social media and I know everything about their lives. Why do I need to ask them how they're doing? Because I know how they're doing. And so we replace real relationships with pseudo-relationships. We begin jumping to conclusions. Instead of having conversations with people, we jump to conclusions. You know what? She must not like me anymore because she likes someone else's photo and that photo was posted at the exact same time as mine. So I know she saw my picture. Why didn't she like my picture? She commented on theirs, why she only liked mine. She put a heart by that picture, how come she only put a like by mine? Begin jumping to conclusions, and it erodes the very fabric of our relationships, the essence of our relationships, which is communication with one another. And we settle for these pseudo-relationships, and the, and the grossest thing about it is that the very medium that was meant to promote intimacy is the very vehicle that erodes intimacy within our lives. 
We were meant for so much more. But the enemy wants to keep us trapped in pseudo-relationships. How are your relationships this morning? What mediates your relationship with people within your church? Is it social media, messenger, or do you have real conversation, communication with people? Is your relationship a naked and unashamed relationship where I can take off my mask, I can take off my fig leaves, they know me for who I am? Or do we throw on the fig leaves and present only the best things about our lives so that nobody sees the annoying parts of us? How are your relationships? Because the enemy will do whatever it takes to keep us from relationships. It's the second thing that we see. The third thing, then, is you can settle for pseudo-relationships or you can fight for more. You can settle for pseudo-relationships or you can fight for more. What the enemy wants us to do is for us to be content because here's the sad reality. For all of this social media, for all of these things, we are living in what scholars and researchers are saying is the loneliest generation in the history of America. And millions of people all around are singing with Celine Dion all by myself. Is that your song? Is that your song? I have hundreds of connections, thousands of connections, but no connecting. Is that your song? I feel all by myself. The issue is not that you're single. The issue is that you're lonely and that you're alone and that you've settled for pseudo-relationships. Time magazine said loneliness is the great health crisis affecting our generation. It's, it's on par with obesity and uh, unhealthy eating habits in terms of the reaction and the epidemic that it will be for people in our day and age. You can settle for pseudo-relationships, and we're drinking the poison that keeps us locked in a chamber of loneliness. The question is, are you going to settle for that, or do you want the real thing? I suppose in every area of life, that's always going to be the question, <coughs> because in everything, they're the real deal, and then there's fakes. When I was uh, growing up in elementary school, uh, when I would buy lunch at school, my favorite meal would be called barbecued rib on bun. That's what it was called. I don't know if you've, they still have this. <coughs> but you had this soft bun, and then the inside, it's kind of like a McRib sandwich, but I don't want to call it that. It was a, supposed to be a pork patty, and it even had the shape of the bones sticking out of it, but there were no bones in it, obviously. So you look at it, and you're like, man, that's an authentic barbecued rib on a bun. And so I would love eating that. I love eating it. I would always take the pickle out of it, but I would eat it nice and clean, one napkin, be done with. A few years later, after years and years of eating barbecued rib on bun, I remember seeing a real rack of baby back ribs. And I remember looking at it, being like, what is that? This is barbecued rib 
I was like, barbecued rib? Is this supposed to go on a bun? Like, it can go on a bun. I was like, why does it look like that then? Why are there bones in it? This is weird. Something is wrong with that. Like, this is, this is, uh, these are ribs. I was like, I used to eat that in school every day, but it didn't look anything like that. They're like, oh, this is the real thing. What you're eating was like this processed, fake, pseudo rib. This is the real deal. I was like, nah, man, mine didn't have bones in it. He's like, no, you take the bones out of it. This is a rib. It's a pork. It's a pig's rib. I was like, eh, I don't know about that. They're like, eat it, try it. I was like, no way. The reason I didn't want to eat it, the reason I didn't like it, one, I knew that it cost a whole lot more. Two, I knew that it was messy. And three, I knew that it was hard work. And a lot of people are settling for pseudo-relationships because the real thing is costly, it's messy, and it's hard work. The only place, C.S. Lewis says, where you'll be spared from the pain of human relationships. You could do that. You could lock yourself up, but you'll find yourself hardened and crusted over and never able to interact with people. He said the only place outside of heaven where you'll be free from being hurt by human relationships is in hell. And when you settle for pseudo-relationships, that's in essence what you get. You know, if there's one thing that the lesson of the missile alarm in Hawaii tells us, that, man, when life is on the line, relationships matter. And it's not just relationships. It's real, honest, vulnerable relationships where we say things to them that we would say if we only had an hour left to live. Isn't that what ought to matter every day, though? That's what intimacy is. That's what relationships are. Being able to take the fig leaves off and not have to filter my language and not have to pretend like I've got it all together, but just speak honestly to each other. Do you know how annoying the people in your house church are? Do you know how annoying the people in your Sunday school class are? Because if you don't, can I tell you something? Then you've most likely settled for pseudo-relationships within your community of faith. But if you realize, man, they really are annoying. Man, they talk too much. Or they don't talk enough. Or they're always cutting me off. Or I can't get a thought out before they start talking again. Or, man, why, are they so, why, why don't they say anything? I'm asking for advice. Why don't they give me anything? Man, they chew so loudly. They're so annoying. Man, why do they smell so bad? If you don't see the annoying parts of your community, then the most probable reason is because you've settled for a pseudo-community. That's why one of the questions I ask people when they want to date, right? Hey, pastor, we want to date. Can you tell us what we should do? One of the questions I always ask is, can you tell me maybe two or three things? Tell me two or three things that you think they need to change in order for them to be everyone that God called them to be, that you have no way of helping them get to that place? What are two or three things that they need to change? And if they say, well, here, here, here are some things, and they can readily name them, I think they're in a decent place. But if they say, well, I, don't, I can't name anything, I think they're great, then my response is, you have fallen in love with a pseudo version of a real person, with an idealized version of a person in whom you can see no fault. 
right, come back six months later, and then we can talk. After you find some fault in them, you realize how annoying they are, and you begin to see them for the real person that they are because every person is annoying because every person is sinful. And if you cannot see the annoying idiosyncrasies and character flaws in another person, then it's because we're settling for a pseudo-relationship with an idealized version of somebody that we haven't yet seen without their fig leaves on. Don't you want more than to go to bed having a thousand likes on your picture but feeling empty at night? Don't you want more than that? Don't you wish that you didn't have to cry yourself to sleep at night because you wish somebody understood you? Don't you wish that it didn't have to be a romantic partner that you're constantly going to one after another? But don't you wish there was someone that could look into your soul and they could really see you and love you for who you really are? So I tell you what, in every relationship that I have, whether it's with Olivia, whether it's with my kids, whether it be with my best friends, whether it be with my pastor buddies that I get together and we unpack everything. Whomever it is with my brother, my, my, the, the men who stood at my wedding, whomever it is that I have relationship with, the times when I felt most connected with them was not the times where we dominated uh, a, 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 a hundred-piece chicken wing meal or the times when we won a basketball tournament. It wasn't those times. It's the times when we took off our fig leaves. We said, let me be honest with you. I'm hurting. I'm struggling. I'm afraid. I'm ashamed. I've messed up. I'm struggling in these ways. And sometimes and many times when the tears begin to fall, that's when we begin to connect. We begin to realize, I'm taking it off. I'm taking off the fig leaves that where, where you don't know me as Pastor D.L., but you know me as, as David, where you know me as your husband, where you know me as dad, you know me as the boy that you saw growing up. Right? This is who I am. You take these fig leaves off, all these things that I used to cover my annoying things up, and we begin to really connect. This is life. This is life. And they look back at me, and I look back at them, and the response is the same. I have never loved you more. I have never respected you more. I have never cared for you more. That's life. That's what we were meant to be. That's who we were meant to be in relationship with. And that's the kind of relationship that we're meant to have. When all the layers are gone. Because you see, ultimately, the fig leaves are going to die out. And that's why in chapter 3, verse 21, God does the ultimate act of love. It says in verse 21, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. He knew that we would need a more permanent covering, and he knew that someone else an animal would need to be sacrificed in order for that kind of relationship to really be had. And then 2,000 years ago, God sent His Son, the third person of the Trinity, who knew that intimate community like nobody else, and He was ejected out of that community, and He was brought into a community of humanity which only knew shame which he knew would only shame him in return for the love that he gave. Because as the enemy will do whatever it takes to keep you from relationships, God would do whatever it took in order to bridge the gap between relationships with him and us and with us and each other. And so at the cross, Jesus Christ became the ultimate sacrifice. 
he who knew no sin and knew no shame and knew no guilt took all of our guilt and all of our shame and all of our hopelessness upon himself. And he who only knew righteousness took off the robe of righteousness so that he could throw that over us so that we would no longer need to be ashamed. Only in the gospel do we have the power to say, this is who I am in all of my shameful nakedness, and this is who we are in the gospel. Only in the gospel can we have that shameful nakedness covered by the grace of another. So that we can say, I have nothing to fear, nothing to be afraid of, because I'm no longer defined by my shame. I'm defined by the gospel and the robes of righteousness. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Therefore, I can come clean. I can come clean. I don't need to settle for a pseudo-relationship anymore. I can come taking off my fig leaves, and I can have the real thing. What would that look like? What would that look like in our youth ministry? If we had nothing to fear, that we knew that this was a safe place, that no matter what I say, no matter what I've done, no matter where I've gone, no matter what I fear, that I've got a group of people who will look at me and say, I love you no matter what. You think people would long, would run to come on Saturday nights to be in that kind of a community? What would happen within our house churches if there was this ethos of grace where we begin to realize, man, just like in, I forget which, which gym it is, this is a judgment-free zone. I can come just as I am, broken, jacked up, messed up, all these flaws, but I'm going to take off my fig leaves because I know that in the world I may get crucified by it, but in this community there was one who was crucified for me, and in whose name we come, that I can be accepted and loved, and in being loved despite all of my brokenness, that through that love, that the shameful and fearful effects that I've brought upon myself can be washed away. Man, what would it look like? Would not these be places where people would run to come? We have a choice between pseudo-relationships or relationships the way God intended them to be. He has given everything in order that we might have the connection that we so desperately long for. Right? The choice is ours. Let's grab on to that which is real. Let's pray together. As we pray for a moment, let's just pray to the Lord God. What is it that you want? Are you okay with pseudo-relationships? Hey, it's easier that way in one sense. People love you for the good parts about you. But here's our reality. We don't want people to love us for our good parts and to praise us for those things as good as they are. Deep in our hearts, our longing for people to applaud us when we do well, but also for us to see us at our worst and to say, I, I will never love you more. And therein lies the healing for loneliness and shame and sin. 
Don't you want more? We can be part of so much more. Because this is what a lonely, fearful, hurting, shameful world is desperately longing for. That it would be different amongst the people of God. So can we pray together? Pray for yourself. Pray for your relationships. Pray for your communities. Bible study classes, SNF, house church, whatever it might be. Your marriage, your family. Let's pray. Lord, may these relationships not be fake, pseudo-relationships that leave people lonely. But Lord, in you being first, may we love you above all things. May we connect deeply with each other. Let's pray. Let's just respond, right? Responding in prayer is just talking to God. Just going to give you 30, 45 seconds. Just talk to God. If you don't believe in God, that's okay. Just be honest with Him. And if you're honest with Him, He'll be honest back with you. Just tell Him, God, if you're there, I'm lonely. Help me. God, if you're real, then show me. God, I don't know if I believe in you, but if you are really true and who you say you are, Help me to know that. Let's pray together for a few moments. And then I'll close this part of our time in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you that it's only when we begin to realize the depth of the good news that not only has Jesus taken our place, but we now have taken Jesus' place. That Jesus who earned the perfect love of the Father in heaven now places that on us who by faith have put our trust in Jesus. And we who only should have heard it is bad, 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 now here is very, very good. I am pleased with my daughter, my son. Because in our stead, Jesus, who only knew perfection, took the curse of those whose lives were shameful. We understand that when we believe that, when our identity has been reoriented away from this life, away from our mistakes and been redefined by the good news that we are loved and accepted by God, then and only then do we have the power within us to not only accept people for who they are, but to present to people who we really are. Thank you so much that therefore if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. We struggle. Yeah, we certainly do. That's why relationships are not easy. But we fight because we've got your spirit living in us. And because we can admit our fault and our flaws. And because we can work towards experiencing more grace through repentance and faith. Thank you, Lord. May new relationships, not pseudo-relationships, real relationships arise from this place for the glory of God and for the heart-touching blessing, soul-touching blessing of every person in here and beyond. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.